Welcome to PR360, a weekly public relations podcast where we bring on the best and brightest minds in the PR industry. We discuss the important topics that you need to know. Tune in every Wednesday to find out. Hosted by Brett Dicer and in partnership with Global Results Communication. Find more information on globalresultspr.com. And welcome to a new episode of PR360. And I'm your host, Brett Dicer. You can please subscribe to PR360 on all your favorite podcasting sites. Leave a five-star review if you like this podcast. If not, let us know how we can do better for you. But this week, we're going to be talking about B2B marketing. Yes, the ever, I think... It, it's a love for a lot of people, but some people it's kind of just put by the wayside, but it's a very important thing because a lot of you are part of the B2B type of marketing. But with me, I have Jason Bradwell with me and he is a B2B marketing expert and he doesn't actually think it's boring at all, which is good because this is going to be a very lively conversation about it as well. But he's had a bunch of different experience, including being the host of B2B Better, a podcast about how companies can use marketing to navigate significant moments of change and writes a weekly newsletter that helps early stage companies build modern day strategies. So welcome to the show, Jason. Brett, it's a pleasure to be here. You use the word expert. I'll let your audience be the judge of that, but I can definitely try and fill 20 minutes with B2B marketing goodness. All right. Well, I hope I said it correctly for my audience to be persuaded to think you're an expert because that's that's what we're trying to do here. But are you a co- my first question is always, are you a coffee or tea drinker? Well, if the accent doesn't give it away, I am British um, and I just cannot say no to a good cuppa. I take it pretty strong. They call it a builder's tea uh, where I'm from. So just a dash of milk. Used to take two sugars, but I'm getting older now. So I've halved it and just take one. So yeah, tea all the way. So you're trying to go to the closer of just tasting the true meaning of tea without any of the extra stuff added is what I'm hearing. <laughs> Exactly right. Yeah. And I got to say, I took it, I took great offense at that Ted Lasso uh, bit in the first episode um, where he comes to the UK and he tries on tea and uh, he compares it to dirty dishwater. I just think he didn't get given the right cup. It's true because tea could actually be pretty good, just like coffee. You brew it right and you get the right ingredients and it's really good for the most part. That's it. All right. I gave a brief summary about your expertise, but can you give our listeners a little bit more about your expertise? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a B2B marketer through and through, um, full-time uh, in-house marketing director at a B2B technology company. And in my spare time, as you mentioned, I run a podcast called B2B Better and write a weekly newsletter called the B2B Byte. Um, Really, my experience uh, in the B2B world is more on the kind of enterprise side of things, high value, low volume sales environments, um, predominantly with companies that are well established, you know, have been around for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, um, and have been running a very successful sales led uh, commercial strategy, um, but are now having to readjust um, to the realities of how modern day B2B buyers actually buy products which does lend itself to more marketing dominant uh, strategies, channels, and tactics. So uh, yeah, that's my background. Gotcha. And then how has, if it has, the transparency transparency culture affected B2B? Has there actually been more about the authenticity as we've seen in more of the consumer side of marketing and PR? 
Yeah, I, I absolutely believe so. Um, I mean, the reality of it is, is that B2B buyers have more information available to them um, when it comes to evaluating products and services than they've ever had before in the history of uh, B2B. Um, and the kind of old school playbooks of cold outbound, taking big trade show booths and relying on foot traffic that you your, your sales team can convert into demos and potentially meetings and potentially customers, sending out that odd press release every six months and saying, you know, that's marketing done just no longer work. Um, if a B2B buyer uh, wants to find out about how they can solve a specific problem, they've got plenty of channels they can turn to independently without ever speaking to a vendor. They can join online communities, they can go on social media, they can look at G2 or Captera. Um, there's plenty of options out there to uh, self-evaluate uh, products and, and their services. So the mindset of b2b organizations needs to and has started to shift away from being just a company that's loud um and is you know trying to talk about how great it is across as many you know platforms as possible and really on about delivering value um, both in terms of helping customers answer their questions but also how that brand distinguishes itself uh from from the others in the market Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, with that part of transparency, are we seeing more B2B companies using like social media more? Are they using more press releases more? Are they doing a little bit more PR and marketing than they have before? Is that what I'm hearing from you instead of less? Because it feels like before it was just less. And like you said, we did something. Yay. Yeah, exactly right. I think there are a lot of B2B organizations out there that are still doing PR, but are thinking more strategically around how PR can actually um, serve them and in turn serve their customers and deliver that value I was just talking about. Um, but there are still plenty of organizations out there that just look at PR as putting out a press release across the wire and saying Job, jobs are good, and, um, which clearly it isn't. And even worse, you know, still thinking that appointing a new sales director or releasing some, you know, niche feature that no one really cares about it warrants making a big song and dance about in the form of a press release um, i think the clever uh, and smart b2b organizations out there that are using pr strategically are thinking about how can we voice our opinion around specific trends that are of importance to our b2b buyers um in a way that in a way that delivers value through the media um that's the traditional media to your point about social, um, 100%. Um, what I think is currently an undertapped opportunity is how particularly enterprise B2B brands like the ones I've worked with throughout my career that do have sales dominant commercial strategies, how they can equip themselves to leverage the personal social media accounts of their employees and of their salespeople and position those folk as thought leaders in the channels where their where their buyers are actually spending time. Um, it feels like a natural thing to do uh, in just posting regularly across your your brand accounts and your brand channels. But the reality is that people buy from people, um, and there's plenty of data out there to suggest that the uh, reach and the conversion rates uh, of leveraging employee advocacy and social selling far outstrips the potential success you can achieve just by focusing on your brand accounts. 
Gotcha. And then that kind of leads into the next question about are there any common mistakes that PR pros make when doing P2B? Is it the whole doing PR, but not really actually trying to actually do PR, like do what you just said previously? Is that one of the things or is it other things that I don't even know about? Well, I definitely think uh, there is a systematic problem when it comes to B2B companies thinking, all right, now we need to actually start taking marketing seriously um, and, and and better balance the scales between demand creation and demand capture. And they just adopt a kind of scattershot strategy where it's just, we need to get everything out there across all the channels all the time without really digging in and thinking, okay, who are we actually targeting? What does our ISP look like? ICP, I should say, look like. Where are they spending their time? How are they engaging with content? What are the specific questions that they're asking? And working backwards from that. I mean, it's marketing 101. It's communications 101. Do your research. But I think in the excitement of all these new channels now being available to us and being able to be activated at a relatively low cost, you just start spraying stuff everywhere without really thinking, is this delivering value to uh, the customer. So yeah, I'd say that's probably the most common mistake that uh, B2B companies make when it comes to building out a marketing strategy. Gotcha. So it seems like, I mean, I read a podcasting book about niching your podcast. Is that similar to what, like niching yourself enough where you're successful, but don't scatter shot your marketing strategy or PR strategy, but niche it to where you're being successful and then eventually widen it. Is that what I'm hearing? I mean, there's power and focus. I'll say that. And um, yeah, I think the kind of weakest piece of positioning you can have is we need to be all things to all people everywhere. Um, but that is typically the, uh, that is you know often the attitude that is adopted by leadership teams uh, when they're giving their marketing teams directions on, on what they want to see. Um, so yeah, absolutely. There's power in, in, in niching down. Um, and figuring out what is your unique point of view or unique voice around a particular subject and, and hammering that home. Gotcha. And then how long does it typically take for a testing period of marketing when you're starting it with a new client? Like for the testing period of marketing purposes, how long does it take for that testing period? Maybe it's for your strategy. Maybe it's for just figuring out where this company's going. How long does that take? Yeah, it's kind of a funny time because it's never been easier for B2B brands to run experiments and run tests uh, on the channels where their customers are spending time. But there's seemingly never been less appetite to actually give experiments and tests real time to actually produce results. I think it is a common symptom of of over-eager B2B companies who are, quote-unquote, discovering marketing for the first time um, to throw everything they've got at a, at a particular channel or a gimmick or a piece of hype um, that they've, that they've read about or seen on social media and give up after, you know, a, a month or two months worth of, of, of investment and then revert back to whatever they were doing before, which was producing results, but diminishing results over, over time. Um, I like to break it down into two buckets when it comes to testing. I think you've got your in experimentation, you've got your big ticket experiments and you've got your milestone experiments. Your big ticket experiments are focused around the big ticket items. Like we're going to launch a new channel. For example, we have never invested in employee advocacy or social selling. 
that is a big ticket strategic move. Those kind of programs need anything from kind of six to 12 months to really start seeing any results, not just good results, but any kind of results. Within those big ticket experiments, however, I do think it's important that you set clear milestones around what you're looking for to give you some sort of indication that things are moving in the right direction or give you a sense of where your strategy can evolve and be iterated on as you're actually running through that process. Now, those milestone experiments are never going to, they're never going to, you know, force you to shut down this program before that six to 12 month, 12 month period, but they are going to give you some indication that things are moving in, in what direction that they're moving in. So kind of contextualizing that in the kind of employee advocacy, social selling piece, um, a milestone experiment could be something like, you know, we're going to spend two weeks just pumping out video content across our employee profiles versus the next two weeks where we're just going to focus on written content. And, you know, what are the results between those two? So yeah, long story short, milestone experiments, big ticket experiments, they they both need their own timescales. And let's say that someone in the marketing or PR department is in that kind of position where they're trying to convince the leadership of doing what you say. How do they go about convincing that? Because that's half the battle. It's like, look, we still need to stay the course. Uh, We have a vision for it. We have our big ticket. We have our small ticket or long-term, short-term goals. How do you go about like convincing the leadership team to stay the course when they are like, ah, two months, it's not working. What's, What's happening? Well, I think it's about making sure that you don't launch any new programs before you've received that commitment at the start right? And that everyone feels comfortable with investing over the long term, six to 12 months or whatever that period looks like. And that whatever we kind of see during that period of time, unless we have a real tangible objective reason to change course, that makes sense as part of our wider strategy, we are just going to stay the course. I think if you start an experiment, like launch a new program, launch a new channel, and you haven't received that uh, permission from your executive team, from your leadership team to actually see it through, that should be a major red flag for our marketer because it is much harder to defend a piece of work without having received that prior commitment and when it's you know seemingly failing um, than it is to just kind of get everyone aligned up front at the beginning of that experiment on what our expectations are going to be. Got you. And then do you have any formulas that you like to follow when it comes to marketing? Do you have any formulas for like how to create those big milestone to short term type of things? Like what is your formulas? Yeah, I've got a kind of seven step process that I like to go through um, when looking at a enterprise B2B organization that has run a predominantly sales-led commercial approach and is now looking to balance the scales better towards marketing tactics, creation of demand, capture of demand. And the first step is just the one I mentioned there. It's a commitment to change. You know, you and your executive team need to draw a line in the sand and say, you know, we're going to change the way that we do things. We're going to change the way we go to market. This is going to require some people who perhaps have a vested interest in the status quo to, to be uncomfortable, but the success and the you know the financial health of our company depends on it so that that commitment needs to be made upfront loudly and publicly second step is to audit what you've currently got 
So your aim is really just to find out what's working, what's not working, where the gaps are. Um, and this involves customer analysis, it involves messaging analysis, it involves infrastructure analysis, you know, really looking under the hood of your CRM and your website. The third step is defining your objectives and your goals. Um, and this is something, you know, back to your, 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 your question earlier around, like, what do people get wrong? I think shockingly, you know, a shocking number of, of B2B companies out there who are launching marketing programs don't actually define what they're using to measure uh, the success of those programs early on. So your, your third step, setting your objectives is absolutely key. Like what is the metric or, or set of metrics that we're looking at that are going to tell us over a period of time that we're moving in the right direction? And they could be marketing qualified leads. It could be website sourced opportunities. It could be pipeline. It could be sales velocity. It could be revenue, but it needs to be quantifiable and it needs to be uh, communicated to everyone involved in this new program. Your fourth step is infrastructure. It's cliche. You wouldn't build, but you know, you wouldn't build a house on, on shoddy foundations. And that's what you need to look at when you're building out a new B2B marketing strategy. Um, there's a lot that can go into this in regards to kind of processes and tooling and, 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 systems and what have you. But for the purposes of today's episode, I just really focus on two parts. One, your website. It doesn't need to be complicated. It just needs to be able to make it easy for visitors to contact sales because people who are visiting your website, you know, arguably have a higher intent than someone who's just, you know, following you on social media. They've, they've gone to the effort of learning more about you. They need to, uh, it needs to be easy for them to exchange their, their details. Uh, they need to, so let me take that again. It needs to be easy for them to share their details in exchange for value. So what I'm talking about there is forms that don't have 20 required fields in order for them to download a piece of gated content. And third, it needs to make it easy for them to self-attribute. So, um, you know, why are they coming onto the site or where did they first hear about you and your brand? Um, and then the second part of infrastructure is your, is your CRM. I still find it shocking how many B2B companies out there don't actually have a fully functioning CRM between their marketing and sales team. And without it, I mean, you're really just kind of flying blind. So that's the infrastructure step. Step five is strategize. So developing your unique point of view, what is it that you're saying and why should people, you know, give a crap about it? And why is it different to the rest of your competitors? Second is um, deciding what programs you're going to kill. Undoubtedly, when you actually start digging into the data, you'll realize that you're overspending in some channels and tactics that aren't actually delivering results. This often is events in the B2B space, like sponsored events. You're spending 50 to 100,000 pounds or, or dollars or whatever on a big booth at a trade show that no one's really visiting and it's not really converting in any commercial opportunities. Um, after you've identified your kill programs, you need to decide the programs that are gonna actually deliver value uh, based on your customer research. Is that launching a podcast? Is that social selling? Is that building a community um, and, and kind of, you know, developing what, what that program is going to look like. And then finally, you need the team. Um, so, you know, who are the people who are actually going to execute on the work? And then I'll just quickly close off with the two final steps. Step six is execute. Um, you're only as effective as the operational engine that supports your strategy. So, you know, how are you under this step developing new content ideas? How are you producing the content that, you, you've roadmapped, how are you distributing the content uh, that, that you're, you're developing? And then finally, uh, measure. So, uh, you know, I've worked, I've worked in a lot of companies where a lot of thought goes into the development and the creation and the production and the distribution of stuff. But 
there's no kind of follow-up really to understand their resonance. So you, you need to kind of create an environment that fosters the collection of insights and audience feedback across both marketing and sales that will allow you to analyze and iterate and evolve your strategy as as you go on. So that's my seven-step process. Mm. I mean, you talked a little bit about the auditing process. How do you actually be able to conduct a proper audit for a B2B on their marketing side? Yeah, this is a big question, and it could probably be an episode all in, all in of itself. Um, but I think just kind of generally speaking, when you're conducting an audit of a strategy or a channel, first, you need to understand what success actually looks like, because without that, you've got no way to measure the results of your activities. So that's the first step. The second step is looking at any quantitative and qualitative data that you currently have or you are collecting to kind of build a baseline of what's actually happening and more importantly, what's missing. And depending on what you're trying to achieve with this audit, a good place to start is on your website and your your CRM. Third step would be when you've identified gaps, putting in place you know as quickly as possible the mechanisms to plug those gaps is there a point of data that we don't currently have any visibility over that is going to allow us to build a strategy in a educated and cohesive way and then from there you know once you've done those those three steps you you can begin to kind of develop hypothesis and start running experiments and, and start rolling out new programs and, you know, measure them against this information that you've collected. So um, it doesn't need to be complicated when it comes to an audit, but just understand your objectives, analyze the data you currently have, plug the gaps in the data that you don't currently have, and then develop your hypothesis and start running running experiments and go from there. Mm-hmm. And then how has social media affected B2B in the last few years, has it been a more of a positive thing? Has it been kind of neutral? How's it been for the B2B industry? Oh, it's 100% a positive thing. And I think particularly it's a positive thing for organizations that don't have huge marketing budgets. You know, if you think back 10, 15 years ago, really the only way for you to get in front of your potential clients was to take a booth at a big trade show or have a large sales team who were pounding the phones every single day. Um, and both of those cost a significant amount of money. So it was easy in many industries for a couple of players with big budgets to just dominate, right? Social media has leveled the playing field for everybody. If you have a unique point of view and you are willing to commit to providing long-term, no-strings-attached value over long periods of time, you can do it like immediately. <laughs> like you can start your CEO posting on Twitter and, and LinkedIn. You can build a podcast. You can start a community all for relatively low cost in the early days, right? You can, you can run these experiments and you can see what sticks. But has social media been a positive thing? 100% in terms of leveling the playing field for B2B companies uh, to reach their prospective customers without having to invest huge amounts of budget. Gotcha. And then even going off of that, has LinkedIn been a little bit more of an important social media? Or like you said, has it been Twitter as well? Which ones have been a little bit more important for B2B to get their, I guess, branding and marketing out? I'm going to use that classic 
market a response, which is it really depends. <laughs> and I know that's frustrating uh, for, for a lot of people to hear. Um, but, you know, it comes back down to, you know, your ICP and doing your customer research to figure out where they actually spend their time. I think in most cases, LinkedIn is probably going to be it. I mean, it's a B2B social media network, effectively. Um, and I don't think it, it could necessarily harm most companies from spending more time on LinkedIn. But I am starting to see more B2B companies out there on TikTok, right? And I know it's a bit cliche and it's a bit, you know, ugh, to say that all B2B companies should go on TikTok. Um, it reminds me of that Steve Buscemi meme, you know, hello kids, when he's holding the skateboard and he's got the backwards cap. But as long if it's done in an authentic way, authentic to the platform, you know, it can be a very engaging and appealing platform. I mean, 51%, I think, is the number of, of TikTok users are over the age of like 29 or something. I'm, I'm making that up, but it's it's something like that. Um, people in that, it doesn't matter if you're like, it doesn't matter if you're a consumer or you're a B2B buyer, you have downtime. And odds are that you're using that downtime on social media in some part. And why not TikTok? So is LinkedIn the most important social media for B2B? It, you need to do your research and you know you need to talk to your customers and you need to find out and let them tell you. Mm -hmm. And then even moving on to the content side, is there any content that PR pros and B2B overlook? Is it the video? Is it distinguishing between short form TikTok and long-term LinkedIn? Because you can do about 15 minutes or YouTube. Is there any content that P the PR pros and the PR B2B sector should not overlook. I freaking love podcasts. Um, I have one, uh, as do you. I listen to them all this all the time, and the reason I like them is one. I think there's a kind of authenticity that comes from someone talking in your ear versus just kind of reading text on a screen. Two, I think the repurposing potential of something like a podcast, particularly if you record it as video, and even better if you do it live, is massive right you could take if you if you did like a live podcast recording well one it's live so you can activate your community then and there actually as as you're producing the thing you can take the take the audio whack it onto a podcast directory you can take the video throw it onto youtube you can take some of the highlights and write it up as a blog post um, you can send it out as a newsletter you can create it as a linkedin uh, post you can do it as a twitter thread there's just a lot of potential that comes from running a podcast. Um, and I think particularly if you're an early stage B2B company or one that doesn't perhaps have a huge content marketing budget, I would suggest you start with a podcast um, because I think it's just a great way of getting a lot of content created quickly at a relatively low lift. Gotcha. And then how will B2B change in the next five years? Yeah, I mean, I ask this question as well at the end of every single one of my podcasts. I always ask my guests. And um, I think well, just talking about my guests first, like the thing that keeps coming up is employee advocacy and social selling and kind of, you know, uh, investing and growing your employees as thought leaders within the, within the space. And there are some companies out there that are doing an amazing job of this. Um, one B2B marketing agency, Refine Labs, um, they, they do a great job of this. Sweetfish Media do a great job of this. Um, ProfitWell have done a great job of this, um, just taking it to the SaaS, SaaS side of things. Um, but for me personally, I do believe that. But I do think that we're going to see a greater, I do think as well that we're going to see a greater 
a greater shift to rebalance the go-to-market commercial functions of particularly large, mature enterprise B2B organizations in favor of in favor of growing out their marketing teams. As I say, you know, in a lot of these organizations who have been around for a long time, they're mature. Um, they have large sales teams who are just out there pounding the phones, doing cold emails, attending trade shows, trying to capture the demand of their products that actually exists today in the market. But research suggests that across most B2B companies, that's only about 5% of their total addressable market. So what's happening with the other 95%? Well, most B2B companies or many B2B companies, I should say, who do have marketing functions, just target them at that 5% as well. So essentially, you've then got this competition between sales and marketing who are still who are all going after the same five people. I think over the next two to five years, you'll see more B2B organizations cotton on to the fact that we need to be actually catering for that 95%. We need to be creating demand with that 95%. We need to be delivering value to that 95% so that when they do switch from out of market to in market, we are not reliant on being the company that's picking up the phone at that exact moment. They know where they can turn to, to at least start getting some answers to their questions, the brand that can help them solve their problem. So I think that rebalancing of creation and capturing of demand is going to be a key thing for the next five years. Gotcha. And then fun question for you. What is one tool you would like created for B2B PR pros? Um. I did have I did have an answer for this one I was thinking about, but actually, as you said it now, I'm, I, I've thought of something else. I would like some sort of tool, like a chip in my brain that would, at the press of a button, just switch off the marketing part of my mind. Like I think marketers inherently are creative and curious, and it's hard when you're in this profession. And particularly like you and I, who, you know, are doing this in our downtime as well to just kind of see opportunity and see inspiration everywhere and always wanting to kind of, you know, throw it into a swipe file or tweet about it or or just kind of be engaged 24 seven and it can get exhausting. So I think, you know, what's one tool I'd like to create for B2B marketing professionals, the ability just to, just to switch off and have a break and, and, you know, maybe, maybe grab a holiday. That'd be awesome. All right. Any final thoughts for listeners? I've just really enjoyed chatting to you today, Brett. And um, for anyone who's interested in learning you know, more about me, uh, I'm very active on Twitter at Jason R. Bradwell. Um, and the link to my podcast, B2B Better and newsletter, B2B Byte, you can find uh, on my Twitter profile on LinkedIn uh, or on my website, www.jasonrbradwell.com. All right. Thank you, Jason, for joining PR360 and sharing your knowledge on the B2B industry. Thanks. And thank you for listening to PR360. As always, please subscribe to PR360 on your favorite podcasting hosting sites. Leave a five-star review if you like this podcast. If not, let us know how we can do better for you. But join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR industry. All right, guys, stay safe. Get to understanding your needs for your B2B company. And see you next week. Later.